0: says get that
1: india big boy hello and welcome back to another edition of the tip sheet as always i'm your host john also known as 4020 joining me as always is my good mate 60s it's an action-packed episode, mate. We've got a couple of guests, including one that we're really, really pumped about today.
2: Mate, It's we're getting into this pre-season. Uh, there's plenty of action happening on the training paddocks, but we've got it uh, covered here in terms of uh, interesting guests from the uh, Parramatta Club and from its surrounds, its district. So, uh, yeah, ready to get into it, mate.
1: And right now it's all NRLW, so I'm going to leave it up to you to introduce us to our very first guest, one that we're really, really excited to have on the tip sheet.
2: The NRLW kicks off early in 2022 with a triple header on February 27 at McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle. What makes this day really exciting for all of us Eels supporters is that our Parramatta NRLW team will be making their debut in the main match against fellow newcomers, the Knights. Today, we're privileged to speak to one of the elite signings for the Eels, Blues Origin star, Kennedy Charrington. Kennedy, thanks for joining the tip sheet.
3: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, can't wait to have a quick chat about the up-and-coming season.
2: <laughs> Mate, we're, we're uh, really looking forward to this. Now, you started in rugby league as, as a kid and then enjoyed success in your teens in rugby union. And now you're making your mark again in rugby league. Can we fairly ask you what your favourite footy code is?
3: Yeah, look, um, you know, f- playing both codes, you get to see um, the dimensions of the games are quite similar, but then at the same time, they're quite um, different. And. As much as I loved Rugby Union and that's where my career kind of kicked off, you know, the, the big rep teams like New South Wales Waratahs, the Waterloo squad and that, but um, I feel like league has always been my, my first love, you know, playing junior rugby league in Perth and growing up watching my cousins debut um, in the NRL and stuff, so... I think yeah, for me um, and where I'm at now with all the success, you know, in my um, few months that I've been in the game, now it's definitely rugby league, and yeah, at the moment it has has my whole entire heart.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic to hear, as rugby league lovers, we love hearing that. Uh, <laughs> and on a serious note, rugby league has improved its options for females after the age of 12. But I imagine back when you had to jump from uh, from league to union. Um, that uh, that would have been fairly common for girls your age back then.
3: Yeah, look, the pathway wasn't really set out nicely like the way it is, like New South Wales pathway for an example. It's so clear. You have um, the um, you have the seventeens comp that's starting up next year. Then you have Tasha Gale. Then you have Harvey Norman, and you have the social comp under that. Then you have NRLW Origin. World Cup, All-Stars, this whole pathway that's clearly set out for everyone to see. So when I was younger, um, when I was 10, 11, 12, you know, with many of the other girls in the rep size at the moment, we had to play, um, you know, Oz Tag, Touch, anything to keep us busy after we turned 12 because we're deemed too old. So it was anything to get our footies in the hand. And um i'm just really jealous of the girls especially like people like my young sister who have these clear pathways and are benefiting so much um coming through the pathways early and i wish we had that back in the day but it just goes to show that the game's headed in the right direction and the quality of game is going to go through the roof for the next four or five years
1: and to clarify those younger years were in Perth, and 60s and myself having watched a lot of the junior reps for the boys have seen the pirates in action in the mats and ball but how would you say yeah. the standard of junior Rugby league was like over on the western coast
3: um, I think for me back when I was younger, it was the same, you know, kids going out and having fun. But once you get to like, you know, your, your years where you want to go to the next level, like your 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, that really important age group. I think that's where Perth kind of lacks in the support, you know, not having an NRL, uh, NRL team Well, being taken away, you know, used to have the Western yeah. Reds, but, yep. um, I think that's where they struggle. It's it's the same kids I've noticed, the same kids playing the same sports, so the same kids play touch, league, union, touch, and there's not enough um, growth in the pool over there. So um, it's having to make sacrifices to come over here. So you've got like, myself, Shanice Parker, um, Jordan Pereira, mm-hmm. Jackson Torpede that have all had to relocate to make something out of it because at the moment Perth doesn't have the support and the network's for us to go to the next level, and it, it is quite sad because some people aren't willing to relocate and make those sacrifices,
2: but, you now, know... Now, just a, um, a question without notice then, just on that. Would yeah. you say that it, it it would be highly beneficial if the league were to look at expansion over in yeah, Perth?
3: definitely. Like, um, Perth is... Like, the comp is massive there. Like, there's so much support from local junior clubs, senior clubs. There is league there. It just hasn't been focused on and I think it's just been forgotten because you know Perth is so far away and you know travel times you know too far but it's literally just the other side of Australia and I think if we actually put some funding into it put some attention on it especially their um their senior comps then we could definitely make something out of it so I was quite upset that um they didn't get a look in and you know the Redcliffe Dolphin did (laughs) I felt like Perth were deserving and they have been pushing for a while. That's right. But um, hopefully they've made some noise now with um, some big sponsors behind them with some big money to push them maybe for the next one to come in. So fingers crossed because, like I said, Perth does have a backing. It just, yeah, hasn't had a look in.
1: Yeah, it's always been on the periphery of expansion, but there's just been some of the more, I suppose, blue chip uh, expansion yeah. places that the NRL sort of prioritised, like you mentioned Brisbane two or now the Redcliffe Dolphins and, and yep. whatnot. But yeah, knock on wood that the uh, – The Perth, in in whatever iteration is, whether it's the Pirates or another franchise name, can get there because, like I said, Sixers and myself have seen the Pirates in the junior reps for a number of years, and you can tell it's you know very big passion following over there.
2: Yeah, and I I, I mentioned also in a previous podcast that I caught uh, I was channel surfing and ended up on NITV one night, and they had uh, women's rugby league a club match from over in Perth and yeah, I, I was really was intrigued in watching <laughs> it it was i mean it, actually the standard wasn't too bad and and the game went right down to the wire it was like you know uh, edge of the seat stuff actually uh, and you know it was probably on at about midnight or you know eleven thirty at night or something like that but i couldn't turn it off i had to sit there and watch what was going to happen as i said it was it was quite a not you're not a bad standard actually
3: Yeah. Look, um, some of the girls I've had to be the connection to get them over here. So I've got a lot of the, um, you know, me, myself being from Perth, um, and having the contacts I've had, I've had to really, um, you know, point out these girls that deserve a look in because they're just as good as the girls over here, but because they're from Perth, they're not getting a look in, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I've had to be that connection with coaches, with, um, with agents and stuff and be like, okay, you need to look at this girl, this girl, this girl, they deserve it. Like, they aren't going to look That's, that's almost like a similar
1: Earth. debate you used to have with the old country versus city stuff where you'd yeah. be arguing for the country prospects to get a look in because of the city elite pathways, but now this is on a national level, there's plenty of talent in Perth in Western Australia. They just need to get a look in to the, the larger scene.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely agree.
1: Now, Kennedy, whenever we have a guest on, obviously you do a little bit of research and you look into their backgrounds, you can ask some <laughs> questions about them. And I've got to tell you, you have a fascinating background, both personal and familial. Uh, and this Thank goes, you. Like we mentioned, it goes across both codes, both league and union. You have an uncle that played for the All Blacks, which is a huge achievement in and of itself, given the standard that they have. You've got two yep. cousins that you already mentioned, um, Anthony and, and Manny, or Mania, sorry, that played in uh, a Yeah, Mania. Oli. Yeah, Mania. Yep. Um, but if that wasn't cool enough, you yourself, uh, going back to being a young kid, you won a gold medal at the Commonwealth Youth Games playing yep. for Australia. <laughs> you were a back-to-back champion in the Super W for the Tars. Yep. In 18 and 19, and then you went from being a centre in Union to being a middle forward in rugby league, and you went on to win rookie of the year, uh, nearly take a grand final, and earn selection for the Blues and the Maori All Stars. So you've got you to walk <laughs> this through because I'm probably I've probably missed something big there too. You've got an incredible, even though you're so young, an incredible resume already.
3: Thank you. No, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster of, of events ever since uh, 2016. Like I, I had a few injuries then, and I was just like. Oh, you know, I don't think um, Union League's for me. Like, this is me back in high school. And then I'm just glad that I put in the work that I did there because it's honestly set up um, the best success in the last four to five years for Mm me. So grateful for those hard times back in 2016, 2015. Those
1: those crossroad Um, moments are just so, you know, life-defining, aren't they? And, you you know, you're stuck strong and now you're getting the reward for it and hopefully – you know, you talk about the NRLW, we've seen that the Queensland Rugby League are moving to equal pay for the origin structure, and hopefully the New South Wales Rugby League follow in suit, but, you know, we're starting to see the NRLW really take root and become its own, uh, you know, massive competition.
3: Yep, no, definitely, I'm so happy for the Queensland girls, even though there's that rivalry, overall it's women's sport, and um, anything to do with women's sport, like you look at the cricket as well, they're putting so much money for them, and you know, the Queensland investing into their players. Um, no, nah, it's just a massive, massive applaud for um, that state because they're headed in the right direction. And hopefully, like, I'm hopeful that we are pushing it just as much because mm-hmm. if one, one state deserves it, then I don't see why we don't deserve it either because we put in the same, you know, we might not got the results in the last two years, but we definitely deserve it, especially seeing, like, the background, Stories of some of the girls, the hard work we put in, working three to four jobs, studying, looking after families. So there is a m- lot more that goes on than just playing footy. You know what I mean?
2: Exactly. And just back and that, to- that's the thing. I was just going to say that's the thing. A lot of people just don't know um, the background stories of uh, what the, uh, the female uh, players have to have to go through because it's it's really that. Well, you've got several competitions in one year for a start, and I mean next <laughs> yeah. year. It's even more so with two NRL competitions, and then, as you said, you've got the Harvey Norman uh, women's competitions as well. Um, uh, it's it's and, and you've got, as you said, there's there's families, there's jobs. Um, the NRL fellas, the NRL is their job, but we're not yeah. at the stage where NRLW can be your job at, at this stage. So. Yeah, there's, oh, there's so much to what, what the sacrifices that yeah. have to be made.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of grey and, and area I, as well with, oh,
2: sorry, continue. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was just going to say, it's it's just something that we, I, I think people should be more aware of.
3: Oh, I agree. I could talk about the subject any day of the week. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a grey area, especially with contract security, so I don't know if you guys know, so you know, with the different comps, we don't sign a year contract. We sign two to three month periods. So if you get injured, that's, that's your contract gone. There's no security on money coming in, even though you've taken work off, there's nothing like that. So pretty much we're doing everything we can to look after our bodies to stay injury free so we can play the footy we want, because if we aren't playing, then we aren't getting paid. That's, basic um you know people were so easy to say and criticize us for not being grateful you know we have a comp you know you're getting paid it might not be enough but we've still got to live we've still got to you know take time off work we can't some of us can't have full-time jobs yeah, like that, myself that, the having that, to work two to three jobs
1: the people that come at you like that are obviously coming from a place of ignorance because yeah definitely <laughs> there's a lot of sacrifice involved in the nrlw and all the periphery competitions around it whether it's origin and in the international mm. stuff you know you're you're pioneering a way for yourselves and for the girls of the future to be able to have a system yeah. in place where there is the full suite of support. Like you said, there's contracts that are guaranteed throughout the course of a, of a year rather than the course of two months. So this, yeah. is, this is all stuff that you're fighting for now, but you know will come into place hopefully in the very near future because it, it is foundational cornerstone stuff for the growth yeah. of the NRLW. Yeah.
3: Look, it's, it's, it's already heading in the right direction just in the year that I've been involved in the game, you know, 2020. Um the minimum contract was five grand for uh, I think it was nine ten weeks and it's already had a sixty percent increase so the content that was supposed to happen this year uh, the minimum contract is eight grand so it's definitely heading the right way in the right direction and um, the minimum contracts obviously bumping up 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 as we get more funding, more exposure, more mm-hmm. comps and hopefully with the World Cup year happening next year they got postponed from this year because we're supposed to be in England right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> hopefully that, you know, um, how the Gillaroo's go um, gives a bit of a, you know, that gold medal feeling that happened with Rio 2016 with the Australian girls winning. Hopefully that same boom happens again for um, rugby league in women's.
1: And this just popped up in my mind. I never even considered this, but as girls in the NRLW, are you part of the RLPA or do you have your own player association representation?
3: Um, We have, yeah, we're part of the RLPA. So we have our own women's board. Um, Hannah Southwell's actually the only female player on board. So she sits with, um, was it Wade Graham and Daddy Cherry Evans and another player that I can't think of right now. So she's our representative, but we only just brought in a new delegate um, like a, player delegate chat um Mm -hmm. that we have that we talk so it's like some of the marquee players from each squad but then we also have like a a little a mini board that got created I think a few months ago after Jilla Camp we spoke about what we actually need to go forward like as a representation Mm as a um as a as as the NRLW so I think there's uh, maybe six girls I think from memory that are sitting on that so it's like Keely Davis, Millie Boyle, Hannah Southwell, Kezi Apps. My metalfa, yeah, I can't remember the rest, but yes, we do. We do. That's
2: good.
1: <laughs> That's another important step, obviously.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just oh, having a voice. There's, there's so much we could talk about oh, in this so in much. this area.
3: Yeah, and, yeah I know.
2: And and, uh, and and the other thing too, I want to put my two Bob's worth in here because, uh, and this is this is just my my opinion, but I, obviously I love rugby league, but I yeah. honestly believe that the women's game of rugby league has the potential to be the best female team sport in the world i really like i really really believe that i I believe that is the most exciting uh female team sport to watch and it's only going to get better because really what what even to like to even suggest this in 2021 2022 but to use the word pioneer right at the moment the the those players like yourself right now, I really regard as pioneers within the sport, despite the fact how long the sport's been around, despite how long uh, women have been and girls have played rugby league for, it's, as a, it's a pioneering player. stage mm-hmm. right now. And and I just think the decisions that are made right now are, are going to be so critical in where we take the game.
3: Yeah, no, that's so awesome to hear. Thank you. Um, I love hearing, um, especially you know men like yourself backing our game it, it's really humbling to hear because most of our support you know comes from the dads that are involved and you know the brothers that are involved and the nephews uncles so it's it's really lovely to hear thank you but I definitely agree with you not being biased or anything um <laughs> Just, yeah, like there's so many dynamics to the game and we're only getting better. Like if you look at the quality from 2017 when the comp kicked off to 2020 mm-hmm. and I know the girls are so hungry to play to get some footy in their hands because some of us haven't played since June, since Origin, but the girls that didn't play Origin haven't played since out. April. Yep, so, exactly. So they are so keen to play and the quality through the roof is just, uh, especially with the 12-month calendar, there's so much footy on, so much excitement that's going to happen, that's going to come from um, 2022.
2: Yeah, and and really, this expansion of the NRLW is so important because, as as much as I was enjoying the the matches that were that were there with just having four teams, it 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 just wasn't enough. You know, it was yeah. it was like I, I want I, I'm after a, a full competition, a full a full premiership, and I know we have to take baby steps and and but I was I was getting frustrated because I mean for a start it wasn't a speed so, <laughs> so so you know I was a bit frustrated there, but just having you know I, I, I just felt that it had to be more than four teams, and now that we're at six teams, and then I know we're gonna we're gonna um, you know get higher when the warriors are able to return and they'll expand again. Uh, you know it's just heading into a better place. But as I said, all the decisions now just so critical.
3: Yeah, um, it's, it's it's bittersweet to play in as well. It's just like. You have to literally do like three, four weeks of preseason and then bang, you're straight into to the comp. And it's just like you haven't even formed bonds. And then you know how yeah. some teams, like look at Manly, look how they progress through the men's comp and they ended up yeah. in the top 14. Yeah. Like you don't have that opportunity slow, to a do that. slow start
1: in the season or, or you know, just yeah. any sort of setback, but you can yeah. overcome it with perseverance and then build yourself yeah, you, into being a finals contender.
3: You, yeah, you don't have that in the women's game. And it's just like you have to come bang straight first game no catch up no nothing and you have to pull your best team forward and sometimes that just doesn't work for some teams
1: yeah expansion like especially a, for my
3: young team last year with the roosters like i felt like we we were by far the better team in the comp, but we just didn't get to have a chance to, to show out yep. yeah, yeah no the way
1: expansion to a double round robin at the very least is going to be a big step forwards for the nrw once they've got enough teams to to warrant that and that's going to be really cool having the you know the home away splits for every team it's going to be big
3: yeah, I can't wait. It's going exciting, especially at Combeck
2: Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> March thirteen. <laughs> yes, yeah. Looking forward to that. And now, look in uh, in making that transition that you made from rugby union to rugby league in the one yeah. season. Was there any one aspect that you had to work on to to make that transition successful? If you had to pick one aspect of your play of your game that you had to you had to work on more than any other.
3: I think it was my play the ball. Hey, so I had a lot of help. Um, like I, I played junior rugby league, but it, it had been a while. Like I think my last game of rugby league wasn't – I played like an odd game when I was 16 and I'm, I was 20 oh, – 20. I was 21 at the time. So it's been, what, four or five years since I've played a ball and uh, grateful I had a lot of help. Like um, first week I came into Sharks um, for Harvey Norman. Uh, I had Glenn Braley. I don't know if you know Glenn Braley. He's um, Jaden Braley's um, dad. Um, yeah, yeah. No. His two sons playing in the NRL. Jake and Brady, um, yeah. and I, I had and yeah, Brady, yeah. Yep. yeah. And I had um Ruan Sims as well. So uh, at the Sharks, so they were on me every week, helping me before and after training. I was asking for so much help because I was like, I love this. I love learning new stuff. Like it's been a while since I've been back at the game. in the first week, first two weeks, like all they were doing was just helping my. My depth as well. So my play of the ball and my, um, you know, in Union, you stand quite deep and you've got so much space to play with. Or well, being a forward, like, you don't have that. It's just literally hitting flat, You're hard, at the advantage far. line
1: all the time, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I felt like sometimes I was still getting back 10. They were like, oh, my God. Like, I was, like, all over the place. I was, like, it's not – I was offside. Like, yeah, it was just a mess. But I had a lot of help and – well, it worked because I was playing NRLW that season, so <laughs> – <laughs>
1: Now you mentioned that young Roosters team, Kennedy, and you, that team fell agonisingly short of winning the NRL Premiership, NRLW Premiership in 2020, and they were the, the team that came closest to challenging the Broncos' reign of dominance in the competition. Ended up losing 20 to 10, I believe. Uh, quite a close Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I don't want to reopen up those those wounds. Um, but uh, looking at that game, what lessons can you take from that loss to help the Parramatta Eels emerge as contenders next year?
3: Um, definitely. You know, go into a game, because obviously we were the the underdogs and we are versing, you know, some big names of the game, but big veterans, Broncos, going for their 3 Pete. So I think you just have to, as a young team, you have to go in with that cockiness. Like we, Mm -hmm. when I look at the prep, looking back, we were were scared from the get-go. Like, not scared, but we had that, like, fear, like, oh my gosh, like, it's going to be raining. First time some of us are even playing, like, NRL to begin with. First time in a grand final. Like, there was a lot of... Anxiety in the team, and um, I feel like you know how the the Panthers are—that that confidence, that cockiness. I think you have to go in with that. You have to think that you're the best team. You deserve to be here, and that's how you should play. Because, well, look at—I felt like we were we were the Panthers last year, mm-hmm. that Roosters team. We came short to the Melbourne Storm, but that's literally what it, um, I compare it to. So, it sucks that you know we can't get. Um, that team together to, you know, bring down the Broncos, but half our team's at the Parramatta Eels anyway. So I can't wait. Um, and I think we've got the right mix uh, at power this season to give this comp a hot crack both seasons. And so I, I cannot wonder, wait.
1: I wonder if the fact that a good portion of that Roosters team is here will help with the, the mentality that you're talking about, having that little bit of, you know, calming and not just calming influence, but like you said, the self-confidence to back yourself because sometimes – The line between being self-confident and arrogant can be blurred. But like you said, if you're in the grand final, you deserve to be there. You've got to back yourself. Yep. So that's going to be real cool having that mental edge, I think, for a young team. And speaking of the roster, uh, looking at what the Eels have assembled, even this early on in the preseason, can you put your finger on the brand of football or the identity of the team that really jumps out to you?
3: Um. So our team, like we've only met once. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, we finally got to meet. I'm um, so exciting. We've been. I think we're one of the last teams to actually meet, and it kind of sucks because all we've been doing is Zoom catch ups, Zoom catch ups, Zoom catch ups, and it's just been like it hasn't like that. That team feel is definitely there. Like. We've got such a vibe. We've got a lot of culture. We've got a lot of girls from Western Sydney. So it's great representation of culture all around um, our team. And, and I think that's what brings us together too. The, the, um, the, everyone's so interested to know each other, not just at a player level like with footy. It's deeper than that. Like we did a few fun mental wellbeing um, challenges um, virtually. And, yeah, just so many questions that go deeper than footy. Um you know, obviously, Dean Wood has been our coach and he's the Indigenous All-Stars coach too. So he brings a lot to our team. And I think the, the dynamics of um, each member of our staff, we've just got a great mix. And oh, I'm just so excited talking about this. I could talk about my team for days and we haven't even played or trained.
2: <laughs> well, look, I've certainly enjoyed seeing the photos. And our good mate, Mary Kay, joined yeah. you at, uh, on the on the, uh, on the day as well. So it's good to see Mary there.
3: Yeah, she's so lovely. I love her.
2: Yeah, look, we uh, she's she's been a repeat guest with us um, on the on the tip sheet and um, and when we've done our live appearances at paraleagues, she's one of the first that we we turn to as a as a guest for our uh, uh, for those live shows because um, like us, she enjoys talking footy and <laughs> uh, there's always plenty to talk to Mary about. So yeah, she's one of our favourites. <laughs> oh, uh, that's now, lovely. Now. I want to throw the question that John asked, but back at you, because John was asking about what brand of football the, the Parramatta Reels are likely to play. But I want to ask, how would you describe the Kennedy-Cherrington brand of football?
3: Um, oh, that's that's a good question. I like this question. Um, I, guess, I guess for me, like, I, I have confidence, you know, and like you said, that, blurred line with our like you know that arrogance confidence is blurred sometimes but because I'm new to this like the rep um, side of things here like I went in with no I go in with no fear like I don't give a damn about who I'm playing against whether they're a veteran whether they're a rookie like I go out to play the best I can and I play hard I play fast I play aggressive like I'm probably one of the smallest actually if if, the, if not the smallest prop in the comp but that doesn't stop me from you know making 10 plus meters on my every carry that doesn't stop me from making two to three runs in a set like i i'm a workhorse that's 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 i'm just yeah
1: you (laughs) you sound a lot like a a paramount of prop four that was very popular for a long time that was a little bit undersized for the spot but gave his all and that's uh fully he used to fly in every set and was a a cult favorite very quickly uh because yeah look
3: yeah i like to stay busy and the middle is where everything happens especially in the women's game if you can't you can't score tries if you don't go forward so I like to stay busy I like second efforts I love tackling love the aggression so um nah I yeah everyone critiques you know my size and stuff but that doesn't mean anything and, uh, size don't mean nothing
1: just just to so because you I think you're getting a few fans excited now are you an eight or a ten on the back in terms of the or the prop forward position
3: um I, I've played both I guess I've Probably an eight. So anyone, that, anyone that's
1: rushing out to buy a Kennedy-Cherrington jersey now after hearing her sell herself as this, you know, up-tempo energy forward, there you go. You've got the number <laughs> and the name now.
3: Yeah, I don't know. See, it doesn't it's, – it's in the women's game, it, it kind of means the same. to be honest. Does oh, it, yeah.
1: Does the, it? No, the, the eight and the ten are pretty much the same thing. But at Prop Forward, it's just that people that want to get your jersey now, they can just be, be sure they've got the right number.
3: Oh, okay, well,
2: yeah, probably get named to eight. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> if it changes, yeah, don't So quote you're, me. You're, you're actually going to now have to request this because if we <laughs> yeah, it. If we put it out there that, you know, people are going to get Sherrington across the uh, across the back of the jersey and the number eight and John leads them down the wrong path and you run out in a ten. <laughs> yeah, look, if it changes, I'm
3: sorry, I could have change it. But, yeah, it's either eight or ten, but like hopefully eight.
1: okay let's uh let's talk the nrlw because 2022 is a a very odd but special year because we saw the impact of covid the nrlw clubs now have an opportunity to a unique opportunity to claim two titles in the one season or one year is this something you girls have spoken about or is it case just dealing with the march competition first and then reassessing and and attacking that second competition as its own entity yeah
3: the the nrlw comp is in our sights on the first one. But at the moment, half the girls are in Harvey Norman preseason. So it's been such a a messy start. Um, We're actually commencing training on Thursday for like every second Thursday. Um, So we finally get to meet each other and train with each other on Thursday. So that's so exciting. But at the moment, like our focus is para, but it also is our local clubs, which is, I think in the next few weeks, once December finishes up, then we actually go into preseason. So yeah, the first comps definitely, um, uh, insight and as a priority because we haven't really spoken about um, uh, yeah that second comp because we've got a, like a All Stars is the, so literally the, the week before. We already, we
1: already mentioned it, but the the calendar is absolutely insane for you ladies in twenty twenty two.
3: That's what I mean. Like, uh just there's so much going on. Like, I've literally got training this Sunday, a training camp with All Stars. So, so much is happening because it's just like I've got Harvey Norman to focus on, and then a little bit of Para here, and then I've got Maori All Stars to focus on because it's literally two weeks before. NRL kickoff. So, yeah, one thing at a time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, here's the here's the question we probably should have started off with: Why Parramatta? What, what's 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 led you to Parramatta?
3: Um, so I'm actually born in Westmead. Um, if you didn't know, um, grew up out west. Um, before I moved to Perth. So, um, uh, when I got offered a contract to Para as a marquee player. Um, you know, I was wanting to go back to the Roosters because I felt like they were my, you know, you want to hold that loyalty to the club that kicked off my career. That's what I felt like I owed them. But when I spoke to them and, um, you know, I have a really good relationship with the Roosters and they were happy for me to do what I wanted. They were just like, no, we back you 100%. Why wouldn't you go there? Like, it's a great club as well. So they were very supportive. Um, But then it just felt right hearing me in Parramatta Colours, like, I have um, a few family members that are diehard fans as well, but we always give them crap for being a Parramatta supporter, so <laughs> when i signed, they were all like, yes, Kennedy, and rubbing it in the rest of our family's faces. It was so funny, but, um, nah, I think Parramatta just felt right. I can give a lot back to to the community, not just in Parramatta, but Western Sydney in, in particular, and that's always something I felt strongly about, like, um you know, with the, just with the Polynesian, um, communities as well, mm-hmm. myself in Maudie. So I think I just can give a lot of back and be a really good role model for some kids. And well, yeah, I'm born, pa- I'm born, in- I'm practically born in Parramatta. So why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: no, good answer. Good answer. Um, now you you sort of gave us a bit of an insight to this already, but I'll get you to expand on it. Uh, we know that COVID's impacted NRLW massively because it's bumped you know the twenty twenty one competition back in the twenty twenty two, and it's also yeah. impacted your ability to get together on the training paddock. Um, can you just give us a, just a, a rough timeline? I know you, you mentioned there's the Harvey Normans Women's Premiership and and all, the All Stars Camp and whatnot, but for the the girls in the Eels Camp, uh, what are we looking at ahead of that March competition?
3: i um, so you want to so you want to know like what. Twenty twenty two looks like sorry.
1: I oh, just like what your what your preseason prep going to look like in, in terms oh, okay. of getting together.
3: Okay, so um, uh, so para we kick off January, so it's going to be I think we'll be trading three times, three four times a week, um, and then I think we've got a six week preseason, uh, or five or six. So the finals haven't been confirmed because originally they wanted to cut our semi final and. The RRPA and delegates had to step up and voice and be like, no, we want to be professional. Why are you taking away our, our semi final, our chance to be professional? Um, yeah, you know, that, you want that, to treat professional. Like right like a right? Yeah, exactly. Like, why not give us a semi final? Like, we've, we've worked so hard to get here, so why not? So, yeah, pre season, um, I think four, five, six weeks, something like that, from memory. And then bang, two weeks, finals, bang, final. And then, like, it goes – I think we have a week off. And then, bam – actually, no, we don't even have a week off. The first week of Harvey Norman kicks off the same weekend as the, the grand final for NROW. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. And we've had to ask New South Wales to cut our comp because like, this year, um, you know, we will cut short with finals and everything, but our – our club comp just dragged on way too long. We we literally had like twelve or to twelve to fifteen rounds before we started finals, and it went into Origin camp, and then we were supposed to play um, the week after Origin in finals. It was just way too long. So, some of the comps have had to keep like um, really, um, you know, take a three four games out of it. So we go straight into um, uh, so I don't even do preseason with Harvey Norman. I just go straight into it and then Harvey Norman, and then we've got Origin, and then we've got World Cup, and then we've got – yeah, there's just so much. It's it's great. I can't wait, though. <laughs> that
2: is well, there's no shortage of action. But yeah. We've, we've, we've covered so much about the football side of Kennedy Charrington, so we're going <laughs> to ask you a few things um, outside of footy. Uh, some yeah. might touch a bit on footy, but a bit outside of footy. Um the first question I want to ask is something that's close to our hearts because um, John and I knew a little bit about um, the uh, Wattability Group because we, we did a, a story, a feature on uh, the Giant Steps School and Stevie Dressler invited us out there to have a yep. tour of the place and, and to um, help promote some of the fundraising that they were doing at the club and uh, at, the, uh, at the school um so can you talk us through your association with waterbility?
3: Um, yes, yeah, so I think oh so my cousin works for Giant Steps and at the time I just needed some work to work around booties, see what I mean? So yep, um yep. and he was just like, Yeah, cuz um like I'll put you onto our boss, Steve, who used to work at Giant Steps, like my cousin was my contact connection between um, whatability and me. And um, yep. he just got me down and then I got in touch with Steve and he just asked my availability and then I just had to get my um, – I already had my work in with children. So I've already worked with children. And then um, I started working with a, a family and, yeah, just kind of kicked off the there. Yep. And then, um, you know, whatability is such a great um, service for, you know, these kids to get out in the community and be accepted by the ones around them and just bring – some smiles, some happiness to um, other people. And it's humbled me seeing some of the children, looking after them, and I've grown some connections. I haven't worked much lately, obviously, with my schedule because there's a few of us, like me, Dylan Brown, and some of the um, other uh, NRL players haven't, uh, you know, we do a free weekend here and there. So I I haven't been working as much as I would love to. But my brother does. um, I got him involved too, and, yeah, I've seen – a different side of him after he's work with some kids. So, um, yeah, it's such a great service, and no, nah, it's it's just, it's just such a such a. I just love it. <laughs> it just brings you know, the, so much happiness. Account- you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, yeah. Look, for a start, I, I I have to encourage anyone that isn't familiar with it to follow the Instagram account because the smiles on the faces of the the kids and that well, you know, they're. They're virtually young adults too. A number of the uh, the people that you are working with as well. That um, uh, you know, just to see those smiles and the happiness that they get out of out of their interactions with yourselves. Because really, you become like uh, part of their family or, be- or or good mates to them. That's that's probably uh, I you know, there's not a huge age difference between a lot of the people that work for Wattability and your clients. Yeah. And I think that's part of the beauty of it, isn't
3: it? Yeah, there's a lot of young kids um or not kids, I'm um, young adults working, you know, the ones that can work around uni or play people like me um so I think it's it's benefiting our youth that are working with these kids um as well like not saying you should be grateful but um it's just bringing a different perspective into things in our lives, you know what I mean? So, you know, we should be grateful with what we can do by ourselves, talk, just simple things as talking, eating, going to the toilet, those basic things that we take for granted every day. And, you know, we have to help these children learn how to do these things for themselves. So, yeah. but they're yeah. more than just, you know, you're the people you're helping, they're, they're, they're great human beings as well, just doing their own special version.
2: Uh, yeah. As I said, I, I really would encourage people out there just to, to check out the, um, as, a, as a first learning step about that organisation, their Instagram mm-hmm. account. Um now, we touched on your selection for Maori All-Stars a little little bit earlier. And um, after your match, your Instagram account had an emotional post that you put up about what that selection and that match meant to you. And then your mother added a really <laughs> heartfelt reply. And uh, that was something that caused my partner, who's uh, Ngāti uh, uh, her- she's of Ngāti heritage, and she was yeah. crying reading it. Um, can you share how special that experience of being selected for uh, the Māori All-Stars was for you.
3: Yeah, I think the, the Māori All-Stars jersey has, is my number one jersey. Um, I think from a cultural perspective, it hits different. Um, just the emotional side of things and learning about me, my culture, my language, where I come from, the stories behind... Um, our language, just little things like that, and you know, I wasn't brought up, um, uh, you know, in the environment where you're surrounded with the Māori culture. You know, I'm born and bred in Australia, so I've always felt like an outcast, like me and my siblings. And I think that experience, and I cannot wait for camp, and I cannot can't wait for the Sunday to be around it again because it brings me confidence that I'm multi. Mm-hmm.
0: Like as bad as that yeah. sounds, I
3: feel like an outcast because you know, I don't think I'm moldy enough and I shouldn't feel like that because oh my god, sorry, it's background noise. Um I shouldn't feel like that because, you know, that's the blood that runs through my veins. Uh it's simple. Um, you're moldy if you've got that blood in your veins, you you don't deserve to be Māori, whether you can speak the language, whether you're brought up around kapahaka or talking, you know, casually in Reo Māori. So, um yeah, my mum just had to remind me that hey, I'm I'm more worthy than anyone, um, you know the blood that runs through my veins, a proud, strong manawahine, so which means a strong woman in Māori. So, yeah, I'm glad that it um, brought some, you know, emotions to your wife too, because obviously she feels the, this probably probably a bit similar to me, you know, feeling like an outcast or you Ma- know not deserving. I have to
2: tell you, you you've you've really what what you've touched on is exactly what she feels because. Um, she although she's uh, born and raised over in Auckland, um, yeah. she wasn't raised with all of the uh, uh Maori traditions and yeah. and culture that that side of things, um, yeah. So, and and she's also quite fair skinned, yeah. Um, and um, when she was reading that, and and that's why I think your the your mother's words. To you, really uh, affected that, her yeah. because, and I'm I'm even tearing up a little right now, Aww. just thinking, just and that's just thinking like her reaction, like it caught me by surprise because yep. she there's only little bits of the language that she understands be, through being, you know, taught the parts of the language in uh, over in school over there, and because she works in childcare. And started working in childcare in New Zealand. There would be that emphasis on on trying to teach some uh, some of the language to young children wherever yeah. possible, and, and 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 tell stories and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, she yeah. I, she absolutely would feel identical to how what you've just expressed to us there. Yeah, and um, you know, I know she really she bristles up when there's a good harker that's that's <laughs> on. Um, and she's always, and, but she's always telling me because she was born there that, that she is, she's a Kiwi and she's not going to be, she's not going to be Australian because she's a Kiwi. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, 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 uh, the Maori heritage is, um, was like, I I probably didn't realize just how important it was to her until I saw her become so emotional. So yeah.
3: Oh, that, that that makes me happy. Um, you know, if I can do that for someone, just by my mum commenting, like imagine the, um, you know, uh, influence I can have on this Western Sydney community that are of Māori descent, and that's mm-hmm. what I I want to pride myself on being that that great advocate. And you don't have to be, you know, there's already enough segregation in the Polynesian culture as there is. So, um, yeah. That's the last thing I want, you know, it doesn't matter if that blood runs through your veins and you're Samoan, and Modi, you shouldn't feel like an outcast just because you're born in Australia. Exactly. doesn't doesn't mean nothing. That, so That
1: kind of cultural self-doubt, I, I would dare say it's not that uncommon, um, you know, especially yeah. when you, you grow up away from, like you said, uh, from the sort of the places of heritage there um, and seeing sport help act as a bridge to be an affirmation of who you are and where you came from is, is very powerful. And it's part of the reason why we love, not just rugby league, but just love sports in general, that it can act as that sort of tool. So, you know, well, well done to yourself there, because getting over that kind of self-doubt is a huge step, you know, forwards just as a person and, and for your family and for your community.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
2: And can I, <laughs> I just want to share a, a really quick story, because you you, you touched on there across uh, about that impact across the Pacifica uh, people. Um, yeah. I, I taught for nearly 25 years at a school in Western Sydney and um, there was uh, quite a, a number of students of Pacifica background and one of the young boys uh, one year took it upon himself to create a... Well, I suppose it was a of Haka group, but they didn't, they didn't restrict it to, um, to just the New Zealand Haka. All of the boys who are of different background learnt and taught themselves all of the. I don't know if I can use the word hacker for the Samoan and Tongan it's a and traditional uh, dance, the traditional, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So all of the all of the, uh, the that, those sort of traditions of the of different Pacifica groups, and they performed it at a school assembly as as all of the all of the groups, and it was just it was just amazing the passion they had for each other and each other's culture. So yeah, it was um, it. it as you said it's you know it's a, the impact can be right across the pacific of people
3: yeah no uh, what school is that
2: that was out at gilford west
3: oh, amazing i love that that's so cool because uh hill sports high school did something similar too but instead of just um restricted to one school they um brought in different schools um and they had like a mini festival um uh, my my younger cousin ran that and organized that in blacktown so um, yeah he got that up and running and that's what they're doing every year they're making like an annual thing to present that's awesome. um, their cultural cultural uh dances mm-hmm. of yeah so it's, that's so awesome
1: now that is very good and we mentioned the term pioneer before you are the oldest yeah. amongst your siblings and your family um so you're you're certainly blazing the trail ahead for them but <laughs> would you like to give your younger siblings a little bit of a plug because uh, i dare say there might be some uh, high achievers amongst them as well
3: um, yeah, so we're quite competitive, so there's me. <laughs> um, so I'm the oldest, and my younger brother, um, Wuniata, he's playing Jersey Flag this year for um, Cronulla as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in and out of the Aussie 7 system uh, the last few years, Aussie youth as well, same as me. Um, but he's decided he wants to jump in the deep end like me and um, give League a crack again. So started. he actually started at Quakers Hill Destroyers um, back in Junior Rugby League when he was five, six, seven, eight. I think he was. Uh, that's where he started. So um, same thing, um, going back to the game he loves. So I'm excited to see what he can do on the league scene. He's very fast. Um, he's a fullback. So, um, And then my younger sister, um, also Aussie 7s, in and out Aussie youth um, with that pathway. Um, and she w- also captained the um, Tasha Gals. So she was flying in and flying out from um, Perth to play for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Um, in the Tasha Gale comp um, this year. She ended up um, uh, captaining the side and won the grand final. Um, she was flying in and out every week, back and forth from school, after after school Friday. Um, and then she made the origin side, vice-captain that, and then they won under-19's origin. So she's finally moving here in January and will be joining me in the Sharks Colors.
1: That's awesome.
2: And then my young, my,
3: yeah, and then my younger brother, um, he's my younger brother, there's a big gap. Um, he's 12 this year, so he's going to be playing for cronulla um Junior Rugby League. When so, my family all relocating back to Sydney in January. Well, so um, no, yeah,
1: no pressure of on me. the youngest brother, but it seems like he's got to make the Australian Sevens team as a bit <laughs> <he burst> based on. <laughs> yeah, next year on. he
3: better be making it next year. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, yeah, it's funny. So I think he'll probably be ending end up being the best. That's usually how it goes with the youngest, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, a lot of times, <laughs> isn't it? Like the, they always end up being the the pick of the bunch.
3: Yeah, that's the one. But, no, very competitive in my family. Um, That's fantastic. But but very supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, But credit credit to my parents for giving us every opportunity and sacrificing a lot for us. Um, So, yeah.
2: Now, we're really going to throw a personal question at you now because there's probably many supporters out there who aren't aware that you were born with a congenital heart defect. And you've certainly become a terrific ambassador for what a person can achieve athletically. What was life like? for you before and after your operation?
3: Um so when I was younger I didn't have so I got misdiagnosed when I was younger um from birth to when I was three, right up until I was eight years old. So I my parents could tell there was something off about me. Like I didn't have the normal energy a five, six year old would have. Um, you know, running around crazy, you know, keeping everyone up. I wasn't a hypo like that. I was real laid back um, it's like, I was unfit. They used to describe, like my parents were quite young, so they didn't really, and I was the oldest child, so they're first. So they were just like, ah, oh, like, why aren't you like the other kids running around the park? Crazy. Anyways, they just thought it was just me. Um, but then my mum, you know, I had checkups with cardiologists and they were like, no, it's all good. Nothing's wrong with her. It wasn't until I was seven or eight. I, um, no, it wasn't until I was six or seven. Like, um, I was just always pale and blue, like something wasn't right with Mm me and then um yeah ended up getting a second opinion with another cardiologist out in um Quakers Hill and uh yeah my heart had enlarged triple the size to the size of an adult at seven years old so there was definitely something wrong um I got misdiagnosed you know um from birth but um I'm so glad my parents got that second opinion and had that feeling to chase it up so uh like I had a random appointment with a different cardiologist on a Wednesday. And then the Friday, I was rushed into emergency operation because they were like, no, she needs to have surgery now. ASAP. But then, yeah. yeah, ASAP. And then my parents were just like, you know, being young, weren't really informative of the seriousness of my condition. So um, they were just like, oh, like, does she need surgery? And they were just like, well, no, but if she didn't have it, she could be dead next week in cardiac arrest or she could be in vegetable state and wouldn't even make it to her 21st birthday. So that was the seriousness and the the reality check my parents got when they were 20, 20. That's pretty, pretty heavy stuff for a a
1: young couple. Yeah. And obviously being a young kid yourself, that that would have been pretty, uh, I would would say terrifying. Yeah.
3: I I remember everything like, you know, you don't really remember much from your younger days, but I remember everything crystal clear to what hospital, what bed. What? Yeah. It's just, um, I think I'm just traumatized to be honest. (laughs) Um,
1: I I mean, the fact that you managed to turn that around and become, you know, a, a premier athlete in a, You know, code that's starting to blow up is a testament to the amount of work that yourself and your family did from that point. So, you know, that that should make you that much more proud of your achievements.
3: Thank you. Now, I've always treated it as like I got a second chance, um, you know, with my condition. Uh, so if you don't know my condition, so I have a congenital heart defect. So the valves in my left ventricle weren't attached to my heart wall properly, meaning I wasn't getting oxygenated blood to the rest of my body properly. So that's just based the basic yeah, understanding it, it of It explains of your why
1: you're so less active. So,
3: like, you know. Yeah. So not active was blue. So I just wasn't circulating blood as um uh, as much as Oof. I should have. So yeah, that was a lot. Um, but after like i felt like a new kid i was pl- i was i wasn't supposed to be running like i was literally running three months later in um cross country in regional cross country like i was well because sports sports always been yeah in my blood in exactly. my family so like the genetics family
1: absolutely
3: yeah You're,
1: so highly competitive like, highly athletic bunch
3: yeah literally so when i finally were able to do things like i was bed rest for about six months oh, Three months, actually, like faster recovery than normal. Um, yeah, bang, straight on the field, straight in the athletics field. Wanted to give everything a crack. And I've always had that same mindset because I remember those times quite clearly. And, you know, not everyone has a second chance at life. That's <laughs> so cliche, but... I mean, um, you made the so most it, of it. And that that, that yeah, is a
1: fantastic thing and, to do.
3: And exactly what I'm doing. So any opportunity that comes my way, I put, try and grab two hands on it ASAP.
1: It's a fantastic mentality. On a Thank lighter you. note, Kennedy, thankfully, on a lighter note, um, you've got some familiar faces if you're at the Eels next year and you've also played with quite a few teams across the codes and I dare say most of the girls around the NRLW would know each other pretty well at this point. Who's the yeah. uh, funniest teammate you've had and why? <laughs>
3: um, probably have to be Botil Better Welsh. Um, uh, probably Bias because she's, she's mouldy. She's, oh, she's just funny. Um, she's just, uh, you know, she doesn't, She's not that class clown. She's just a great human being to be around. Um, if you're sad, training, she always lifts your spirits. I um, oh, can't mention her great, um, you know, hands at the back at number one. So she's a great footy player. And I think um, nah, she's just a great person. There's one funny thing about her. So she always brings um, her own salt to camp for food, <laughs> I don't know why. And she, oh, she she never she never cramps, so it's probably a testament there to her. She's on the, extra salt on, on the Salt
1: and pickle juice, exactly. She's yeah, uh,
3: literally. But yeah, ask her anything, and she'll always have her salt at the dinner table. It's so funny, but she's just a great human, and um, I can't wait to boot up with her again this season. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Is you know, it know. is it like a special blend or something that she's got? Is, no, is, it's just
3: is it's the spe- just the pink. It's just the pink salt, the you know that pink salt. Himalayan pink yeah. salt. It's, yep, it's that's the quality her.
1: stuff. I respect that. Origin
3: camp, city camp, Moldi's camp, any Gillaroo's camp that I've been on with her. Yep. She's got her salt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, so quickly, quick question to you. Plain salt or chicken salt? Oh, plain uh, chicken salt, for sure. Chicken salt. <laughs> I love chicken that's salt. That's why. Yeah, chicken salt <laughs> on chips for sure. <laughs> yep. Well, that, that of course, now leads me into asking uh, the the final of our personal questions, which relates to guilty pleasures. Now, this can be food. It can be music. Maybe it's a TV program that you've binged during lockdown. What's uh, Kennedy Charrington's either one guilty pleasure or multiple guilty pleasures?
3: Um, Guilty pleasure after every game, um, a large double quarter pound of meal with a Coke and an extra chicken and cheese. <laughs>
1: I mean uh, you say guilty pleasure, after playing a game at that level you're gonna be burning a ton of calories, so at least you're looking the tank there. Unlike yeah, that's unlike the in sixties where if we get that, you know, it's just going straight to the hips.
2: <laughs> no, yeah. I've already good. got a good enough head start on the hips, mate. I don't need <laughs> anymore. Yeah,
3: look, I don't crave anything else but a bloody burger from Maccas, so oh, it's good. But yeah, that's probably my guilty pleasure.
1: Ugh. No, that's a that's a solid pick right there. And like like we said, at least you earned it. You know, coming off yeah. the sort of the effort you put in those games, yeah, you're going to be burning the fuel.
3: Yeah, it's when you know I haven't played and I'm still getting that meal. <laughs>
2: uh, no,
3: uh,
2: and Kendi, it became too easy during lockdown. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, I know. You too know, accessible. Uber deliveries.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: not the one. My bank uh, account don't love me, but yeah, <laughs> had to cut that out a few weeks ago.
1: Candy, uh, <laughs> 60s, and myself. It, it is safe to say that we are. Desperately looking forward to the NRLW and seeing the Eels take flight in, in early 2022. And, you know, a chance to talk to you. I don't think you could have asked for a better guest, mate. Uh, Kenny has been incredible, um, candid, insightful, funny. Uh, I think you're going to be a fan favourite very, very quickly.
3: <laughs> thank you. Um, oh, thank you for, um, you know, supporting us girls um, across all teams, you know, backing women's sports. So I'm really grateful for people like you. And, oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. Yeah, well, Hope I you know, brought some sunshine to your day.
1: Sixties <laughs> myself. We, we talk to all the the uh, local clubs around Parramatta and the juniors, and one of the, the big topics we always talk about is the growth of females' uh, participation in, in that thing. And it's it's an area that we're so excited about because if anyone that's watching the NRLW, watching you know the state of origin, watching the World Cups, you, you'd have to be willfully ignorant not to be excited about what's coming for the girls game the standard is just getting better and better the game's going to expand it's going to be a you know hopefully sooner rather than later it's going to be a full and comp where you girls can be self-sustaining yeah. i'd hope where you can get those guaranteed full-time contracts and from yeah. there, the game just gets better and better so we're, we're yeah. incredibly excited and anything that we can do to help build a little bit of hype for the competition we're always in on it because we, we love it
3: yeah, no, I can't wait to turn a few more ignorant heads that haven't looked our way, but um, slowly but surely head in the right direction. So, yeah, go par. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, That Kennedy. seems like a great uh, a great line to finish on there, mate. Yeah, or our, saying,
3: <laughs> our saying that I put in the team is blue and gold never folds. That's us. There we that, go. That's it, that's blue it. Blue and
1: gold never <laughs> fold. Thank you, uh, Kennedy Charrington. You have a wonderful uh, Christmas break and then get into that campaign for 2022. And we're going to run it back with back-to-back guests. we uh, going to go into another edition of the Parastories. stories, for which, 60s, mate, you've got it all lined up for us.
2: Well, Forty, we've been taken on a quite a learning journey with every junior club that we've profiled during our Parramatta Story series. And this week promises to be no different. Uh, we're featuring the Seven Hills Kangaroos. We've got their secretary, Ricky Orsina, on the line. Ricky, thank you for joining the tip sheet. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be a part of it.
1: No, it's always good to have a, a voice from the local community on the show, mate. Uh, no different for the Seven Hills Kangas. So let's jump right into it. Uh, the Seven Hills Club actually has a surprisingly long history and it probably goes down to one of the um, oldest clubs in the Paris Juniors.
0: Yeah, um, you're right there. The, the club was established in 1951, making it one of the longest seven clubs in the area. Um, it's been established for about well, around 70 years now, which is quite remarkable for the time. Yeah.
2: Now we think it's pretty important that we clear up a misconception early on, uh, because when I mentioned to some people that we were featuring Sevo as our next club, the response was, uh, um, "Didn't they fold?" But you are still fielding teams, and you are looking to grow. That's that. That's that's something we want to clear up straight away. Yeah, yeah
0: um, Sevenerus has been known as the Kangaroos for over half a century, and. However, in 20 or 2004, Seminoles Rugby League merged with Blacktown City Demons, uh, the soccer club, uh, result in a change of name from Seminoles uh, Kangaroos to Demons, and change of colours and, and strips from green and gold to red and black. Um, so in 2020, there were numerous posts on social media indicating that we had folded. Um, however, with the support of Parramatta Junior Rugby League and other clubs in the local area, uh, the club continued and. Uh, this has led Seven Hills Kangaroos reverting back to the original famous green and gold colours. Um, there have definitely been some challenge or changes in the club in recent times, which we believe has put the club in a stronger position to grow moving forward. Uh, we only had one team representing Seven Hills in 2021, uh, which was uh, under 18 men's team. Um, with an even mix of 17s and 18 year olds in that team, we're confident in the Field very competitive eighteens and 20s team for 2022. We almost certainly have an under twelves team. Uh this team that won a competition two years ago. Ideally we're pushing to have teams from under sixes to twenties, including girls teams.
1: That's fantastic to hear, mate. It's we we've having spoken to quite a number of clubs now, we know that, you know, you, sometimes you're you stand on a precipice and and the organization and, and the logistics are difficult to manage and that's something we always chat to in the back end of our, our para stories. But yeah, it's really good to hear the kangas are sort of now set up to really make a big push back uh, across the the, the uh, entire board of age groups.
0: Correct, yes, absolutely.
1: And uh, speaking of that uh, big push, Rugby League is seeing explosive growth in the participation rates of young ladies in the game. Uh, we know that the Parramatta Eels themselves are establishing uh, pathways for that. We were just speaking of Joey Grimer and they're establishing 16s and 18s mm-hmm. talent groups alongside the Tasha Gale and obviously the NRLW. Is that something that you've identified at the Kangas as an important direction for Seven Hills as well?
0: Absolutely. I remember a few short years ago when girls would be lost to the sport as soon as they hit the age of 12, 14 years of age. Uh, there wasn't really a competition set up for them the plane and now with the pathways that have been established, um, we're looking for large growth in this segment for our club, especially you know, we're surrounded by so many local schools, public transport, including buses, seven-plus train stations just at our doorstep. Our ground is very accessible and, and community friendly, so we, we definitely want to uh, use these advantages uh, to help uh, build our club and uh, increase the, the amount of girls playing league in, in green and gold. That's
1: good to hear, mate. And uh, before I let sixties jump in, you already mentioned them before. But uh, in 2021, you had an under-18s team that was uh, pretty successful for the season. Got put pulled, um, pulled under the rug.
0: Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, it was a fantastic season for the young men, despite COVID and getting pulled, getting pulled from underneath us. But um, yeah, they finished in outright first place uh, when COVID struck and ultimately rewarded as winners in the age group. And it was a very strong competition with, with clubs such as Wernie and two teams in the age group. Um, the majority of this team have already ter- returned to training for next year. Um, most of the players players were, turning, well, were 16 and turning 17 and will be playing for the same competition next year whilst our 18s, uh, 18-year-old boys will be building a solid team for that's our 20s. That's well, a heck 22. of a team, mate. Right? Well done. Uh, thank you. Great success yeah, now I
2: just I just want to jump back in time a little bit with this question because there are probably many people out there who don't realise that Parramatta's coach Brad Arthur played his junior footy with the Seven Hills Kangaroos. In fact, his father Ted was also a club coach for a number of years. It must be a source of pride for Seven Hills to have BA as an old boy.
0: Oh, of course, it is. Um, it's it's a fact that's forgotten about and not. Um of the size and I don't think. Um, now having one of our own on the way uh, to becoming one of the longest serving coaches of a powerhouse of Parramatta is enough to, to inspire any local kid to wear the green and gold of Seven Hills and dream big. Um, it shows anything's possible, really.
2: Yeah, we've got some great photos <laughs> that we've uh, managed to source of um, Brad back in the Seven Hills days wearing his, uh, wearing his colours. Um, and uh, I do believe he was uh, like a, a, you know, the club player of the year and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It's not surprising that um, a, a bloke like BA would have had that back in the day when he was a kid. Um, uh, just, just moving on again. Um, when I was having a look at the uh, at the Facebook site for the club, you mentioned that it's the Kangaroos have become a, a small family orientated club. So, who makes up your Seven Hills community?
0: Um, well, although we only had one team representing our, our club in 2021, there was a lot of people involved in shaping, um, I guess, the culture of the club. Uh, there's our president, Kylie, our treasurer, uh, Lauren, committee members like Brad. And yeah, they're all volunteers that, uh, despite not having any family members playing at the club this season, you know, they're giving up their time, they're getting involved. The um, I guess the change... Or changes at the clubs in recent times have also given us the opportunity to continue with the traditions, such as the colours, whilst also developing new and and positive family culture at our club. Um, Our our aim is to be a club that develops players whilst creating an environment where everyone wants to be part of and gets involved. Um, An example of this is our 18s. Uh, Our 18s had a completely new team. We had approximately 33 players try out and train with us in the pre-season. We obviously uh, only picked 20 at the end. But the, camar- the camaraderie and friendship within the group is unbelievable. The, the players came from a total of 16 different clubs and not having played together before. Uh, the players have become best friends, going to events together, live in each other's pockets. Uh, there's a strong bond within the group. I've got no doubt that the positive environment comes down, the families involved, not only in the committee, but within the club's community. It's given our club a new lease on life having players involved with the design of training and game day shirts uh, and jerseys, giving everyone a sense of ownership, pride and belonging. Everyone has a voice in the club, listens.
2: And I I would imagine that that's really a positive when you've got the the people that are within the club now that are really shaping the club for the future and and establishing the culture of the club and and what they want it to be. And I, I suppose there's it creates that good mix of having a, a club that's got a long tradition, but now it's a club as well that's shaping itself for the future.
0: Correct. Absolutely.
1: Now, Ricky, one of the absolute constants that we know is true in junior rugby league and junior rugby league clubs uh, is the importance of volunteers. And I imagine at Seven Hills, is no different. Yeah. You're
0: probably going to hear this from every um, club secretary in the district or any the sport, you know, our volunteers are fantastic. Um, you know, they're they're always given or going above and beyond. You know, no club would survive without passionate volunteers. Or only volunteers, as such, um, you know, they're the batteries in the watch out. you know, without them, mm-hmm. we don't survive. The, the clock doesn't tick over. And, and
2: just with regard to that as well, I mean, you've you've had that, that double bunger of the of of COVID. And then, you know, the fact that you're reliant on uh, volunteers. But COVID has really impacted so many aspects of people's lives over the last two years. What challenges has it presented for you and what's the club looking forward to being able to do next year with hopefully everything being in the rearview mirror?
0: Well, COVID taught us a lot of lessons. Um, Obviously, it's been challenging for all communities. It's been challenging for us to reach our full potential to reaffirm our identity as one of the longest serving clubs in the comp. Um, however, you know, it has made everyone put things into perspective, especially in regards to mental health and well-being. Uh, the importance of getting players back into the sport, playing uh, playing the sport they love, and having them interacting uh, has been challenging. Um, we've, we've made it our priority to give our players updates and communicate with our players uh, almost on a daily basis. With group pages and social media, whether it be from New South Wales Rugby League updates, uh, updates on events such as birthdays, new employment opportunities, etc. We just try to keep everyone um, in regular contact. Um, The focus has been on constant communication in our community, uh, within our community uh, through social media, ensuring that everyone's voice can be heard. Uh, We we found the boys responded to that and the eagerness to, to get back to training has been demonstrated in the last week or two. As a in training for
1: next year. And even in, it, with, even in the years without COVID, which obviously has completely changed the last couple of years of our lives, we know that junior regular league clubs face really significant challenges in any given season, whether they're financial or logistical. How do the kangaroos meet those challenges, mate?
0: Uh, it's always a challenge. Um, however, with assistance from Power Adam and the introduction of new sponsors um, this year, including major sponsors, near Real Estate, Boxers Automotive, an additional sponsorship from both Pizza to Kebabs and Sea Insurance, including Hills Pizza Bars of Pie and Pizza for Our Team with Pizza regularly, um, Pizza Nights regularly, I should say the club has greatly benefited from their support. It's really the local community and local businesses that really assist our club and, and pushing through these times.
2: And of course, the you know that's a that's a great link when you're talking about local businesses. They're getting behind the local club. Uh, a local footy club is really, um, can be that heart of the community, can't they? And for businesses to get on board, it, it works well for everyone.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it, it just gives a sense of community. And um, you know, I guess it, a business owner doesn't become a business owner, they become you know, a partner, or a friend, uh, part of the community. And uh, that's what it's all about everyone working together and, and pursuing uh, their goals and achieving their goals.
2: So just to. Uh, this is this is now really the the point that we're at where we're gonna we're gonna really sell Seven Hills as a club because we want to see Seven Hills grow and be and become uh, one of those clubs of the future within the Parramatta Junior Rugby League. So, if there's anybody out there who'd like to get involved with the Seven Hills Kangaroos and that famous green and gold jersey, now that can be playing, it can be coaching it can be sponsoring it can be helping out in in just any way
0: how can they get in touch mate as simple as jumping on um, on social media one of our pages whether it be facebook or instagram uh, private message you can send us a message you can also make inquiries uh, by emailing senior's secretary at hop at uh, outlook.com That's senior's secretary at outlook.com and i can guarantee you'll get a response uh, within within 24 hours
1: yeah, and on Facebook, I think that's uh, Seven Hills Kangaroos JRL FC, which also contains that uh, email and number, uh, phone number two you can grab a hold of. So, yeah, if you're looking to help out at one of the real you know, core clubs of the district, the Seven Hills Kangaroos, uh, get on there and, and give them a buzz.
2: And it's any, and it's everything. You're looking to field teams between 6 and 20s. That's right, isn't it, uh, Ricky? That, that's correct. Um, I guess it's you
0: know one of the benefits we have as much as – Uh, as much as we'd like to have our our teams full of players at this stage, we've got a blank canvas and we can shape the club the way we want it and there's opportunities uh, for everyone, whether it be coaching, uh, playing training, just helping out Uh, there's a a lot of opportunities there to be part of a a historic club
2: Well, just like those green and gold colours are are historic within Australia, they're historic for the Seven Hills Club the Kangaroos, so uh, yeah, let's let's get involved their people anyone that's uh, out there in the seven hills district and wasn't aware that the the seven hills kangaroos are alive and well and ready to flourish uh make sure you get in touch with the club and whether it be playing or uh getting involved on the staffing or or sponsoring it's uh yeah, it be a great club to get involved with sounds fantastic
1: cheers ricky thanks for having a chat mate
0: thanks guys appreciate it cheers
1: So thanks once again to Ricky at Seven Hills Kangaroos. Make sure to check him out, and if you want to be involved, uh, follow those links, please. Uh, Right now, 60s, let's start wrapping things up. There's a little bit of Parramatta news to discuss, some bits and pieces, some important bits and pieces, actually, um, including the uh, announcement of the end of someone's career. So let's jump into that. Keegan Hipgrave, surprisingly, mate, announced his retirement this week, Um, but looking at why he did it, I completely understand. Um, He's been consulting with a neurologist and made the decision that uh, following a series of concussions in his career, not just at Parramatta, but prior to that, that it's in his best interest to retire early and uh, forego any potential advancement of the head trauma there. I really want to applaud Keegan for making such a, a brave decision. It's not easy to turn your back on a career like rugby league where you know you get paid handsomely to do a lot less than you would do otherwise in another field. Um, it couldn't have been done easily, mate, but I think he's made the right call.
2: Yeah, I think it's a surprise from the perspective that it came out of the blue in terms of a a news item, no
1: rumours or anything like that. It sort of just hit us.
2: Uh, We all remember that it was a nasty concussion that he suffered in that final uh, round match against the Panthers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I suppose the other aspect that was a surprise is that he's only 24 years of age. So, you're not expecting a lot of too many anyway. medical retirements at 24 years of age however it's as you said it's a decision which has to be applauded because at 24 years of age there's so much of uh, of your future ahead of you and football is always going to be a short career there's uh, i mean the average the average football career is I think it's barely in double digits isn't it if you when it's taken across any, everyone who's ever played in the NRL mm-hmm. it's it's a, a very low number so um when you when you look at that and look at the fact that there's not a, a massive number of players that go on well into their 30s that there's so much a life life ahead for for people that you just don't take the risk with a head injury because it, if, if there's one, uh, part of the body that you definitely don't want impacted or traumatized that uh it, it's the brain and keegan's uh, quite an intelligent bloke he's uh, that would come across in interviews that he's done he's currently doing an mba mm-hmm. which is no small feat to uh, be doing a masters of business administration and um he's got you know Quite a bright future ahead of him, where, wherever he decides that that's going to go. So, as you said, it's it's probably the only one, the only decision he could make. It's look, there's there'd be an emotion, there'd be that emotional connection with making a decision like that because he obviously wouldn't have been expecting that his career would end as suddenly as as that. It's a it's rugby league's a journey for all these people. They they start off playing and continue playing because they love the game. Any players in that stage and and oftentimes retirement comes about because you stop loving aspects of the game, whether it be training or playing or time away from family or or you know the body just makes it harder to perform at your best. So people fall out of love with different aspects of the game. So he'd still very much be loving playing football. So yeah, hard decision from that aspect, Mm -hmm. a tough decision, I should say, but the right decision.
1: Absolutely. And I don't think there'd be anyone that would be condemning that call. He's made the right decision for himself, for his young family. And like you said, he's sort of set himself up for success off the field by his uh, pursuit of tertiary education. He's also a heck of a cook too. So uh, he's got a a really cool uh, Instagram where he shows off all his uh, culinary talents um, so be sure to check that out and give him some support there because, yeah, you know, Kegs was uh, here for a very brief time but had that fantastic winning streak happening in the NRL and can only wish him on uh, to bigger and better things away from the game now.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned his family. He's got a, a lovely family. And uh, we uh, we thank them for their support of the Cumberland Throw during his time with the Eels and, uh, and wish them all the best and hope that they have... A little bit of continue to carry a little bit of Parramatta in their hearts, hopefully, moving forward.
1: And obviously, the the corresponding news there is that there is now a top thirty spot open for the Eels, which you know will come into uh, into play uh, very shortly, given that there's deadlines for that sort of stuff. But that's something that we'll have to wait and see how they're going to choose to fill it out, whether it's an internal promotion or going out and finding someone on the market. So that's a very much a watch this space kind of thing. Uh, but speaking of the top thirty. Um, you were out at Parramatta, mate, or at Kellyville, rather, um, and got your first little gander at the pre-season action. It wasn't a, a whole lot happening, but there was about 14 boys reporting in for the first hit-out, the first training run of the pre-season.
2: Yes, mate, you, you've uh, you've pretty much nailed it. It was... I uh, went out there on Monday, just to, Monday morning, just to have a bit of a look at uh, who was rolling up for the first day of pre-season and what they got up to, and it's really an orientation day for uh, some of the players. It was, as you mentioned, there were about 14 players that were involved, a lot of younger pathways players. And um, uh, I'm not going to go through a roll call of of who was there, but it, it was really, I suppose, that it, to use a cricketing parlance because it's uh, we're, we're in cricket season, <laughs> is that it was a bit of a loosener. <laughs> That's how I would have described it. So, a uh, little bit of con- little bit of conditioning work, a uh, little bit of uh, ruck defensive drill work that they actually went into. It's um, uh, something that we've seen from the eels over recent seasons is they don't they don't um, hold back on getting into the footy aspect. You know, I think there were times in the past, and there might be some clubs that still do this, where it was nothing but conditioning prior to Christmas, and then the, the actual footy stuff starts in the new year when uh, players come back from their Christmas new year break, but Parramatta's certainly doesn't hold back in getting into uh, some of the footy skills, and um, it was a bit of defence that they worked on in the second half of the field session that I saw. So, um, And now we're going to have the, the rest of the playing group will come back in... In dribs and drabs, I suppose, just depends on uh, how long they've been uh, playing in the NRL. Yeah, the vested quite...
1: NRL vets get the extra time off, exactly, the five-year yeah. veterans. So That's the real, right. the real That's meat right. and potatoes probably start happening around December, I want to say, where they start getting a, more of a squad back to really start testing them. And then they'll go into that Christmas break and come back in January with the you know preseason in full swing. So you're going to give us a lot more details as that starts to you know, develop and get into its full rhythm, which is going to be exciting. But yeah, we're expecting you know not a, a ton of external recruits, obviously, but a lot of uh, young talent to feature again, like we saw in the 2020-2021 pre So the twenty one twenty two 22 pre-season should be plenty exciting with all the young kids getting a look in.
2: Yeah, look, there's uh, I, I don't know whether people want to term this as, as train and trials or uh, an NRL pre-season. The younger players that are, are coming through in their development with the club, they often get things like a, an NRL preseason. Uh, put into their contracts, so they get that chance to participate in a higher level of season preparation. And really, that we've spoken to people in the past about how many pre seasons it takes to become, uh, I suppose, a um, uh, reach your closer to your potential as an NRL player. Like mm-hmm. the young players when they come in, it's often said that they they need three, four. NRL pre-seasons to hit that season at their at their physical best. So um, you get young players who, part of their their contract development, uh, their their development, what they're contracted to, includes a pre-season. It might mean that they've got anything to do with being a, a full-time footballer for the following season. It just means that they get to experience... A full time pre season for a, a number of weeks. Now it might be the full pre season. It might be so many weeks of the pre season. So we will see some young pathways players uh, involved in the uh, in the pre season. Uh, we will see some new arrivals uh, involved in the pre season. And of course, as you me- as we mentioned there before, the uh, really uh, experienced NRL players they'll get about two weeks of the pre season before Christmas and then. It's basically everyone is um, jumping straight back into it as soon as the new year. Mm -hmm. So, mate, basically stand by for pre-season training reports. I'll start putting those out as soon as we've got a few more of the players there participating in the pre-season. And apart from that, of course, we'll keep things rolling with our podcasts, our special guests, our Parramatta stories. So plenty to look forward to on the Cumberland Throw during this preseason. Yeah,
1: and we're obviously going to hopefully have some big re-signings coming in the few uh, days or weeks ahead of us. So we have to sort of keep that on tap and we'll have a reaction as soon as something does develop there. But until then, as always, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having a listen. Thanks for having a read on the Cumberland Throw. Uh, As always, uh, feel free to join the conversation. I know there's plenty to talk about with Kennedy Charrington and the Seven Hills Kangas. And yeah, we'll catch you guys next week.
0: Cheers.